0: Welcome to Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. While you are there, you can learn more about who we are as a church, see the time and locations of our weekend gatherings, and see the different reoccurring ministries that happen on a weekly basis. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. So we are in a series in 1 Peter talking about really the idea that, that Peter presents and really that is very evident throughout the entire Bible uh, that, that we as Jesus followers, this isn't really our home, this isn't our our place of uh, of. of of really uh, uh eternal uh existence. This is this is a place where we really are outsiders because of Jesus and his work in our lives. And and so it's it's the problem is it's really easy for us to 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 get kind of stuck in a place where we really do see this as our place of of attachment and of belonging. Um and so we're going to be walking through First uh, Peter chapter 2 this morning. Um, let me ask this question. How many of you have ever been gone to a job interview and interviewed for a job ever in your life? Okay, so lots of people have interviewed for jobs. And you know what's interesting? Um, I, I, found, I, I found a few um, memes of uh, job interviews that I thought were pretty Pretty telling about, you know, um, what, goes, what goes through our minds and, and the process in job interviews. So I want to I share a few of these with you. Um, this first one, uh, interview for an IT company. So what makes you suitable for this job? I hacked your computer and invited myself for this interview. Um, pretty smart. Next one. Um, I saw a pigeon having a job interview earlier. I hope he got it. That's pretty much how an interview looks, doesn't it? I mean, they're having some, some food. Okay, next one. Um, how would you describe yourself? Verbally, but I'm also prepared a dance. Um, I don't know. I think that would work. Wouldn't that work in an interview? Like, if, you don't, if you're not a good communicator, maybe you're a good dancer. Um, that could work in some contexts. Uh, next one. Um, why do you want to work at Comcast? Please hold. He's perfect. <laughs> That's how you get a job at Comcast. <laughs> uh, next one. Uh Starbucks job interview. What's your name, Alyssa? Spell that please. L A R I S S A. When can you start? Um have have they at Starbucks ever gotten your name spelled right? Um and I, is that it or do we have another one? That is it. Okay. So, um so it's interesting. Job interviews are interesting because uh is 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 uh I was kind of doing a little bit of research about job interviews and stuff, and and it's interesting because the the employers ask roughly the same questions. Really, the only things that are different about job from that go from job interview to job interview is maybe the specific competencies of that particular job. But but that's a small part of the interview. But but there's there's pretty much standardized questions in interviews that people are asked. And if you go, if you go online, you can, you can find templates for the right answers for probably 80%, 80 to 90% of the questions you're asked at a job interview. You can find the answers that kind of they're looking for. And so it's interesting to me that if, if, if most employers ask the same questions with the exception of maybe the competencies part for that specific skill or job if they ask the same questions and you can find the right answers, what really is the point of a job interview? I mean, if, if it's really kind of kind of boils down to that, well, it's interesting because here's, here's what it kind of comes down to, that, that most job interviews are less about finding out what you're capable of doing than they are about figuring out who you are. Because it's, it's it's interesting, you know. You think about it. You think if if you met somebody, if if you were if you were looking to hire someone for something, I don't know what it was. Just kind of think in your mind something that that maybe you would need help in, and you have an interview process, and you, you interview someone, and you find somebody who has the total he nailed it in the skill area of this job that you're going for. But but you start to 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 kind of meet and interact with this person, and they just they. They're kind of a terrible person. Would you hire them anyway? Say, well, but they can do the job, so I'll hire them. You know, we wouldn't. We'd say, no, no, I'm going to pass on this. Even if I find someone who's a little bit less qualified, I would rather hire that person than this person because of who they seem to be in this, unfortunately, small snapshot of, of, of who they are. And so really, it's interesting that job interviews have a lot more to do with who rather than what. And I, and I know I've, I've heard people say, and, and we've heard people say, but I'm totally qualified for this. And unfortunately, sometimes in those moments, it might not be about your ability, but it might be more about who you are or your character that shows through in that moment where, where you're interviewing for that job. And, and I think it's interesting because in 1 Peter... Peter spends the the first chapter and a half talking about who before he gets into what. It's kind of like Peter understands this idea of of this idea of, of, of it's important about who we are and we understand who we are before we start doing the job. Because God wants a particular kind of who before he gets into what he wants from us, what he wants us to do, the specific tasks and things. Because see, who we are is that, is that we are exiles, but we're not just any exiles. We are exiles who are called to image Jesus to those in the nation around us. So here's the question. If, if God came up to you and, and said, okay, here's, here's the deal. I, I need, these are the things that I want you to do. These are the behaviors, these are the works, these are all these things that I want you to do and, and how I want this stuff. You know, it's funny, I saw that pencil too and I almost picked it up. Thank you. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> I, de- I literally debated, I debated. Good job. <laughs> so anyway, so, so what, if, what, if, what, if, what if God was kind of like, okay, here's the behaviors, but, but but, God, but but you could go out and do those things. But what if you weren't really reflecting him or imaging him well? Would at the end of the day, God say that you got your list of things done? At the end of the day, would God say, man, great job. But you actually pushed people away from him because of the way you did things, because of your character, and because of how you treated people. See, that's, that's not a job well done at the end of the day thing. And, and, and so, so before Peter gets into our behavior, he reemphasizes who we are because if we don't get who we are accurately, then we, then, then what we do won't really matter. It, it won't work because, you see, we can do a work, we can finish a, a job, a work, but if we don't do it in a certain way, like it's the idea that if somebody maybe got the job done, but they treated you poorly, what do you say? You say, I'll, I'll never hire them again because they treated myself and my family poorly. And so we're not going to go there again, even though they got the job done. And so we need to think about this as we, as we pursue Jesus and as we grow and as we live in exile here, following Jesus in a, in a place that is very foreign, foreign values and foreign desires and foreign passions, we need to recognize that we, we need to, to focus on becoming who God calls us to be before he entrusts us with what he wants us to do. So if you have your Bibles, we are in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. But I do want to just review a couple verses back from chapter 1. And uh, it's what Kyle preached on last week. And uh, it's, it's, it's the verses 22 and 23 of, of chapter one. And, and, and Peter says this. He says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for, in, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So he says, here's what's important. It is vitally important that you are seen as a Jesus follower, as someone who leads with love, who cares about people, who loves others, who places others' interests before yourself, who 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 is who is recognizes that you've been born again. In other words, you've been born from being a citizen of this world to being a citizen of heaven and being led and loved by Jesus. And and so as we get into chapter two, he he says this, he says in chapter two, verse one, he says, so put away, get rid of, move this as far out of your character as possible. Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for, for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So, so here's, here's what he says. He kind of picks on whether you want to admit this or not, all of those things that he says put away, malice, envy, deceit, slander, those are all things that you and I are naturally really good at. Okay, like, and, and you may say, you might want to say, well, I, no, I'm not good at that. You really are. Like, trust me, you are. I'm good at those things. Those are like, if, if you talk about leading with your strengths, it might be ugly, but those are our strengths. Um, and, and, so, and, and so the reality is that when in exile, the, the life that we live, because we follow Jesus and we are now more, we are growing in harmony with Jesus and we are growing in disharmony with the world and their values and their, 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 their passions, then there will be tons of tension with the culture around us. And so when we see ourselves as owners of the culture or as citizens of this world, we tend to try to take back or send messages of disapproval, and we can get really ugly at that. When you think about it, we, the church, unfortunately, at certain points in time and even Christians, unfortunately, have a reputation in the the land in which we live as people who are... uh, are, are strong vocally about what they don't like, that, that we tend to take public stands against what we don't like, that there's, um, boycotts and rallies and, uh, we're, we're super good at making social media comments, um, about things that, that we are, we are just either offended or, or disturbed by. And, uh, if we don't make the comments ourselves, we, we post, Articles or things that other people have said that that we jump in line behind, and uh, we're 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 good at, at having alternative events that are basically the same as maybe an event over here, but it's an event that's safe and kind of and kind of uh, isolates us or kind of moves us away from things that we're we're not happy about, and 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 we 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 tend to call make calls for for returning to what we felt more in harmony with. And so what happens is we start, we, we, see, we forget who we are because we think that, no, this is my turf, and we try to take it back. And the reality is that's not who we are. So we try to do some what's without remembering the who. <laughs> and, and, and is it true that, that there's times that we, as, as Jesus followers, have to take a stand and speak out? Absolutely but we do it out of a Jesus-reflecting character rather than an I-own-the-culture character. And and so we have to be careful how, how we go about doing those things. And so when we think of ourselves as citizens, we tend to image Jesus poorly or not at all. When I think of myself first and foremost as an owner of this culture in this world, I start off on a a foot where I'm going to very naturally image Jesus poorly or not image him at all. And and so we have to be careful. See, he says, put away malice. What is malice? It is when we enjoy seeing other people hurt. And you say, well, I I don't enjoy seeing other people hurt. But there is something about when somebody who we disagree with and has values that are different than us and have pushed things that we think are wrong, when they get what's coming to them, we might have a little malice, don't we? And we're kind of good at that. I mean, that's a natural thing for us. We don't have to work on malice, do we? Like, we are all naturally good at that. He says, put away deceit. And deceit, really, if if you want to understand what deceit is, it's crafting truth to my benefit. That's what deceit is. It's crafting truth to benefit me. And we do that all the time, don't we? <laughs> um, that is a natural inclination that we have. I, we are all really good. I mean, think about just like children. Aren't they great at crafting truth to benefit them? I mean, they are super awesome at that. <laughs> and we spend, as parents, most of our parenting years trying to break them of that. <laughs> and, and so he goes on, he says, put away hypocrisy. That's projecting one thing and doing another. Um, Again, we, we, we probably, more often than we want to admit, we get accused of hypocrisy. He says, put away envy. And envy is, what, is where you want desperately what others have. And then all these other things kind of go along with it, don't they? Um, he says, put away slander. That's another thing where we craft others' character to our benefit. And if you want to see slander, the crafting of others' character to their benefit, just watch politics <laughs> cuz politicians are excellent they get like an A plus they're like in they got like 5 on their AP exams in slander of crafting other people's characters character for their benefit don't they <laughs> and they're really but you know it's not just politicians it's we're all pretty good at that too and so he says look put those things away. Those things that we naturally go toward to defend our turf and our world and ourselves, he says, put those things away. Replace those things with a focus and dependence on Jesus. See, what he's saying is he's calling us to focus, or he says, long for, focus on, and depend on Grow up into salvation. Growing up into salvation is the idea of depending on Jesus because salvation comes from him. We don't do anything to deserve it and so depending on Jesus means we are growing up in that salvation. And so we are called to focus on and, and depend on Jesus and and so and, and that's what we're called to do. But here's the problem. Why would I want to put away all the things I'm good at? <laughs> like Because to... Genuinely and authentically and honestly represent someone else, that's kind of hard, isn't it? Especially somebody that I, I don't like or they, they've hurt me at some point or or they're not my favorite person. It's hard for me to not craft their character to benefit me. It's hard to be honest about that. Why would we replace things that we're good at with something that we we have to work hard at and and, and he says he says. Do this if you've tasted that the Lord is good. Here's the motivation to put away all of these things that are, 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 are not reflective of Jesus' character. The motivation is that you've tasted, you've experienced, tasting is a sense, you've tasted, you've experienced that, that God is good. See, the reason I defend myself in inappropriate ways is because I don't trust that someone else will defend me. And really what it comes down to is that when I do those things, I don't trust that God has my back. I don't trust that God is good. That's what it comes down to. When I lash out in ways that don't reflect Jesus, it's because I don't trust that God is good. Now, I'll tell you all day that I trust that God is good, but, but by, by my actions and behaviors you can probably figure out that there are times that I don't think God is good because I take matters into my own hands. See, Psalm 34, verse eight, he's kind of quoting this and in Psalm 34, the psalmist says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. I would encourage you to read Psalm 34 sometime this week. Because that is kind of in the middle of Psalm 34. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. But the context of that verse is God defending and protecting and loving his people. It's a psalm that was written when, 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 when the psalmist felt like he was in danger or he was insecure or he was, there, was, there was threats around him. And the whole psalm, the context of the psalm is all about God's goodness in how he cares for his people. So I'd encourage you to read Psalm 34 sometime this week. So so, so Peter says here, right here in, in verse 3, he says, if indeed, he says, focus on Jesus and depend on Jesus if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And and, and so really the question comes down to this when it relates to our behavior is do, do we really believe that God is good? All the things that we experience in life and all the, all the struggles we, we deal with and the sufferings that we face, do, do you and I, do we believe that God is good? And, 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 and so he goes in and he says, okay, so if you can't come up with a reason that God is good, let me explain to you how God is good to his people. And so the next few verses, he explains that. Uh, Verses four through eight, listen to what he says. He says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying a stone, Here's, here's the first thing he says in, in to, to explain that God is good and God's goodness is that God has, has called us and made us, because of his goodness to us, he's made us into these, what he calls, living stones who are part of a bigger building, and so he uses this illustration, this example, this idea that, that, that when we think of a building and we think of a stone building, you've got stones in a structure and those stones are all important, both individually with where they fit and for the integrity of the whole structure. Like to help us, to help us understand this and, and, and see this maybe better, if you've ever played the game Jenga. Jenga. It's that game that has the, the, the rectangle little blocks and they're in this you know, tall tall uh, like building kind of thing. And, and so the whole point of the game, however many people are playing, you take turns and you push out the block and you pull it out and you don't want the structure to fall over. Well, the first couple that you take out, is pre, they're pretty safe. Although it does, make the, the, it does look weird, doesn't it? I mean, there's obviously once you take the first block out, you can look at that Jenga structure, and you can say something's missing. So even the first few blocks that you take out, they make they leave an empty space, don't they? But then when you get more and more taken out, and then the more that the the, the 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 integrity of the structure starts to to wane, and and so then you know you've got a handful out, and it's starting to lean a little bit, and then you don't want to be the next person because you touch it and the whole thing falls over. And so so what what. Peter says is, he says, we are living stones. We're like those Jenga blocks, those pieces, in the structure that God is building. And this structure that God is building looks completely different than the buildings, the architecture that that dot the landscape of the nation that we live in. God is building a different kind of building with us, these living stones, these blocks that make up the building that he's building. And so it's crucial that each of us recognize that we're part of what Jesus is building here and now, and it looks different than the surrounding culture. It's like you go into a a city and you see all the buildings look the same, but then there's one building that looks different. And you think, well, what was the thought behind that? Why is this building different? That's, that's really what, what we look like, this building that Jesus is building, that God's bringing together with these living stones. It's like a building from a totally different culture, a totally different world. And, and, and so he says, he says, he says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, that idea of exile, that who we are is rejected by the world around us and he says, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. See, God, God has chosen us and he loves us and he cares for us. And he's building us up into something that says that, that we're to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Those spiritual sacrifices in particular that he's talking about is to offer our lives as active imagers drawing attention to God so that people within your vicinity will join you in worshiping him. Your spiritual sacrifice, what God calls you to do is to image him in a way that it draws other people to focus on God and ultimately worship him. It is evangelistic in nature It is reaching out to other people in its nature. And and, and so that's what he's calling us to do. And and the bigger picture of spiritual sacrifices includes everything that is reflective and and pleasing to God. But here in particular, it's the idea of imaging because it's in the context of being an outsider who people need to see this this weird-looking structure that they're drawn to. Because anytime there's a structure in a place that's totally different than all the other structures... Your eyes are drawn to it, aren't they? You always make notice of that. And you're curious and you want to figure it out. And so that's really what, what Peter's saying is that God is building you because you, we are living, breathing stones being made into a building, a living, breathing building that God is designing so that when people see that in the landscape of the culture around us, they will say, that is a different looking thing. And I'm going to investigate what it is, what it's about, why it's there. And we see that in our lives when somebody comes up to you and says, hey, you had every right to get back at that person, and you didn't. Why didn't you do that? That's somebody seeing you in a building that doesn't make sense with the buildings that surround it. And so he goes on in verses 9 and 10, and not only are we these living stones, but in verses 9 and 10, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So here's what he says. Not only, not only are we these living stones being made into a building, but he says we are a priesthood. And it's interesting if you go to the Old Testament in Israel. Israel had a priesthood. But here in, here in Peter, in the New Testament, God communicates to us and says, no, you don't have a priesthood. You are a priesthood. You are a group of people who have direct connection and relationship with God himself. You don't go through different mediators or moderators. You don't go through different people, but you are directly connected and tapped into God Himself, and you have a relationship with Him. And so he, he says, he he uses four kind of descriptive terms or phrases. He says, You are a chosen race. Now, here's here's the here's the 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 danger with that. In Israel itself felt They fell into this danger because they saw themselves and they decided that they were better than all the other people around them. We're chosen and we're better. A chosen race is not the idea that one group of people is better than another. In fact, when you see biblically saying you are a chosen race, it is an issue that should humble us deeply because God's choosing of people is not based on how good you are or how special you are or your abilities. It is purely through the grace of God. God and, and Israel lost sight of that and they started to think that they were better and more important and more significant than the people around them and that's why God had to discipline them. God is not okay with any group of people thinking that they're better than any other group of people. At no point has he been okay with that. And so when, God, when Peter says, you're a chosen race, he's saying, by God's grace, he has chosen and accepted you, and he loves you, and he wants you to draw other people into relationship with him. And then he says that you are a royal priesthood. The idea that you are royal, that you become part of God's family. And you and I, as we are Jesus followers, we receive all of the benefits of being part of that royal family. We share in his inheritance. We we get all the things that God has. He shares all of those things with us. Some of those things we get today, some of those things are for when we see God face to face. But that we are we are part of that royal family. And then he says that that you are a holy nation. Kyle talked about that really well last week, the idea of that we are set apart, we are holy. We are a group of people who are here in exile, but we are together set apart. We behave differently. We are different because we've surrendered ourselves to Jesus. And then he says, a people for his own possession. In other words, we are the people of God. We belong to God. We are no longer belonging to the world. And so, as, as he describes those things that we're choise, chosen, royal, holy, and possessed, that, that everything has changed about who we are. We are no longer who we used to be. We are a different people, and we are strangers, and we are sojourners, and we're, we're journeying through, we are exiles in this world. But we're not just trying to make it through unscathed. We're actually trying to image and reflect Jesus and draw others into a living, breathing relationship with Jesus so they can be part of this living building that's being built, so that they can be chosen and royal and holy and possessed. He says that once you were not a people, once you were under wrath, But now, because of Christ and what Jesus did, that that Jesus paid for every wrong that you and I have ever done, and once we are able to surrender to that and accept and, and ask his forgiveness, then we're no longer not a people or under wrath, but we're a people of God and we are under mercy. See, this is how God is good. That he's taken you and I and made us living stones and put us into a living building and that he's made us A priesthood, chosen and royal and holy and possessed. This is how God is good. See, he chose, despite you and I bombing the interview. Because when it came to interviewing with God to become part of his family, we all blow it. (laughs) We don't have a good resume. I mean, really, all we have on our resume when we're applying to be part of God's family is we rebelled against you, (laughs) I mean, how many employers hire people who their first words at the interview is, I hate your company, (laughs) and I do everything to undermine all of the goals and values of your company? Kind of like, cool, you're hired. (laughs) And so even though we bombed the interview, God made us part of his family with all the benefits that come with it. He set us apart from those still living for themselves, and anyone messing with us will answer to him Personally, And that opportunity is for every single person who's willing to recognize Jesus as Savior. There's not a bunch of work that you have to do. You don't have to prove your competency in anything. It's just recognizing Jesus as Savior and coming to him for forgiveness. See, that's what, what Peter's saying when he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. If you've tasted, what have you tasted? You've tasted freedom from the consequences eternally of your sin. You've tasted being part of God's family. You've tasted God's faithfulness even in the midst of hard times. You've tasted God's provision, whether things are good or things are hard. That's what he's talking about. So so really, what Peter's doing now before we get to next week when he starts to give some principles for the what, what we're supposed to do, we have to do the what from a position of who. Because you can do things, but what informs those things you do is who you are and how you walk into those things. We can take a stand in culture for what's right, But if we're not recognizing who we are, see, we're not just here to shut down the culture around us. We're here to draw the culture toward Jesus. And if I go and I'm just shutting down the culture, how is that drawing people to Jesus? If I'm all about winning and beating the other person in an argument, how is that drawing people to Jesus? You see, we tend to take the easier roads than the road that God calls the Jesus-following exile to pursue. See, the, the roads that are a lot easier is the road of the conqueror or the road of the separatist. The conquerors, they overthrow and make home here and build their kingdom. <laughs> That's what the conquerors do. And unfortunately, there's so many people who've called themselves Christians who take the way of the conqueror. They conquer those around them, and they build their homes, and then they build their own kingdom. And that's not what Jesus calls us to do in this world. That's actually Jesus' job. (laughs) Because one day he will come, he'll return, and he will make everything right. That's not our job. Our job is to draw people towards Jesus and, and, and the separatist idea is where we retreat and we make home here and remo- we remove ourselves from this foreign culture around us. And that has kind of the same result in not actually drawing people to Jesus because we're no longer, we have no influence with people who don't know Jesus. Who would there be to see us imaging God? See, to be imagers, people have to see you. <laughs> And if the only people who see you are the people who are also imaging Jesus, what good does it do? It doesn't do any good. And and, and so, so being a conqueror or separatist, those are both actually pretty easy to do, but they're also, they're not what God calls us to do. See, the church has tried to use foreign weapons and tactics to force change in its land of exile. Jesus calls us to recognize who we are That we are exiles. And he calls us to follow in his steps, image him accurately in the nation and in the land, and in the community and the city that we live. That's what he calls us to do. And that's so much more difficult than beating someone or avoiding someone. (laughs) It's actually getting into life, keeping our focus and dependence on Jesus and letting people see this unusual building that we're a part of, and modeling for them Jesus Christ. As you visit with each other in your communities this week and in your groups, i have got a couple questions that I think would be good to kind of talk through and, 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 and unpack. And the first question is this, um, Does does what I say and what I do drive people away from Jesus or invite them toward Jesus? This could be the only question that needs to be answered of my life. If you wanna boil your life's success or effectiveness down to one question, this might be the one question. Does what I say and what I do drive people away from Jesus Or does it invite people toward Jesus? If you can can figure out a way to live and function in a way that your life invites people to Jesus, then you've nailed it. (laughs) You have arrived. (laughs) And, And if that's the only thing you focus on for the rest of your life, how does your life invite people to Jesus, then that's all you have to figure out. But of course, it's pretty difficult to get there, isn't it? Because I know that my life regularly, mostly when I'm driving, (laughs) pushes people away from Jesus. (laughs) Little insight, just so you know, I'm outing myself here, but I drive differently once I get off the freeway at Kansas Avenue when I'm coming to church on Sunday morning because I figure that there might be more people who are headed here at that moment and and that that I don't want you to see me in my natural environment. And so, (laughs) like literally my driving behavior changes when I get off 99 (laughs) and I get close to the church. So I wanna apologize and confess that, but that's not the point. Um, Second question that I would encourage you to wrestle with and, and talk this week is this, have I recognized who I am that I am chosen, I'm royal, holy, and I'm possessed. And does that inform what I do? Not make me feel better or superior to others, but does that drive me to be a better servant to the people around me? Because that's really where God leads us because that's what Jesus did. Jesus was the greatest servant of all and he calls us to join him. I wanna ask the prayer team to come forward right now, and I'm gonna close this in prayer, but here's what I wanna end with. I wanna end with this. If you're here this morning and you are struggling with, with God, God's goodness, if you've experienced something that you just say, you know what, I am having a hard time and I need someone to pray for me, you could be somebody who's known Jesus your whole life, but you're struggling with God's goodness this morning. You could be somebody who has never considered Jesus, and you kind of are, maybe you're here saying, I don't know, what has God done for me? I don't know if God's done anything for me. And you want to just have a conversation with somebody? Then, then after I pray and, and after the service ends, I would encourage you to come up and uh, receive prayer for those things. Let me pray for us. God, we come before you this morning and I thank you so much for your love for us. God, I thank you that that you care deeply about who we are and you don't leave us to ourselves to figure that out, but God, you remind us, God, you in every every way, you you tell us who you have made us to be. And so, Father, I pray that as, as we become more in tune with who you've called us to be, that God, we would grow to be better imagers and our lives would draw people toward Jesus. God, that you would convict us where we've been conquerors or or, or separatists, that, God, that you would move us into a place of, of living and breathing and influencing in the world in which you've placed us because you've placed us here to have an impact. God, I thank you for your love and your work in our lives, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.